another visit to Uncle Nicholas, Doris and her mountain home. When Doris had anything to do, it was done promptly. She went that very afternoon to see her grandmother and settled the matter then and there. As she passed the dwelling of her uncle Jacob, she saw her Aunt Marie sitting as upright as an iron shaft at the window, but did not halt to converse. "'Welcome, Doris!' exclaimed the old lady cordially, for Doris looked so bright and cheerful that she was sure she had decided to accept the offer of her Uncle Nicholas. "'Have you decided what day to leave your cottage for the elegant home at Ardy's?' "'I do not intend to leave it for Ardy's grandmother. Mama and I are happy where we are.' "'Your speaking so rashly proves that you need someone older and wiser to choose what is best for you.' Being young and inexperienced is something I cannot help, Grandmother, replied Doris respectfully. But if I were ten years older and ten times wiser, I should never agree to sharing with Cousin Nicholas in the property of our uncle. You have always lived such a poor life, Doris, that you do not know the happiness it is to have abundance and be free from poverty, which always brings care. Oh, Grandmother, you are so mistaken in thinking we live a poor life. No people on earth could live happier than we did on Monteroso. You are too young to know your needs. You are living from hand to mouth. Your living had no solid foundation. It was only what your father could get from the sale of his pictures and the little your mother inherited from your parents. They had a poor life, but your mother willed it so when she left all her relatives and friends to marry an artist. I was not too young to know that Mama lived one of the happiest of lives. When Papa lived, we read and sang together and took lovely rambles over Montroso, and under the shade of the trees we would boil the greatly mealy chestnuts to eat with our lunch of white rose, sweet butter, and luscious grapes. Oh, Grandmother, when I think of those happy times, I cannot keep from shedding tears. This result was not at all what the old lady had planned. To revive longings for the Italian home was not advancing the interests of the Durants, and she hastened to change the subject. These recollections of your childhood would give, will give place to others more suitable for your years, dear Doris, she said. In the meantime, I have a proposition to make to you. Tomorrow afternoon, your uncle, Jacob, will take me to visit your uncle Nicholas, who will be alone and lonely, for Nicholas will be at a cattle fair at Zimis. I wish you and your mother to go with us, and will take no denial. Handsome spans of horses and elegant carriages such as your cousin are not at our command, but Jacob's plain carriage and one horse will answer for the time. Doris thanked her grandmother, glad to get away upon such easy terms, and promising to be ready for the visit, hurried home. "'What is the result?' asked Dorothy, meeting her at the door and almost holding her breath in anxiety for the reply. "'A visit for us to Artie's tomorrow afternoon, and for Cousin Nicholas to the fair at Zerny's,' laughed Doris gleefully. Dorothy was rejoicing to see her cheerful, but her own heart was filled with unrest." She saw, if Doris did not, that her grandmother had not given the affair up. The next afternoon, mother and daughter were ready, and the drive to Artie's was more enjoyed by Doris than by the others of the party, they appearing to be communing with their own thoughts, oblivious to the song of birds and the wild flowers by the wayside. 
"'You must take us over your uncle's place this afternoon, Jacob,' suggested the grandmother as they came inside of the mansion. "'I will. Uncle may be, well be proud for one to see his herds and his stables as handsome as many dwellings. All well money can accomplish anything.' Uncle Nicholas was delighted to see them and rung for your cell to prepare coffee, and soon all were seated about a table abundantly supplied with the fine fruits.' and other products of the place. Brother, said Grandmother Durant, I have taken a notion to see all over this house today. The great dining room with its glass door, china closets, the silverware and cut glass, the damask tablecloth, enough to last for generations, then to the upper rooms to see the linen room with its piles upon piles of bed linen, the splendid blankets and large comfortable beds, and the handsome carved furniture. We must go to the cellar, too, with its pillars and paid floor, and see the bountiful supplies which a provident householder keeps upon hand. Yes, yes, your cell has the keys. She will take you all over the house, and Jacob will take you over the barns and granaries and stalls. If I were not so lame, nothing would give me greater pleasure than to go with you. I will go first into the great dining room, said your cell with pride in showing unexpected guests the perfect neatness of the unused rooms, where not a speck of dust could be seen. Dorothy was filled with admiration of the exquisite china, which with most of the silver was in a heirloom in her late aunt's family, and Doris, too, was interested in the antique beauty of the designs and embellishments. The lower were all inspected and approved in a way that delighted your sale, and would have charmed Nicholas had it he been there to hear it. Then they went up the broad stairway. "'Where is Doris?' asked Grandmother Durant, as they paused for breath at the head of the steps. "'She was with us until this moment,' said Dorothy, looking down to the hall they had just left. "'Go down yourself and see if she is sitting with her uncle,' said the elder lady. "'Tell her we have not yet seen over the house and are waiting for her.' Your cell went, but came back with information that Doris was not anywhere to be seen. "'Do you search for her, Dorothy?' said Grandmother. "'I will go down and talk to Brother while you are gone.' It was not often that she was vexed, but this time she was more. She was thoroughly displeased, and imparted her thoughts to her companions. Done all we can to let Daniel's granddaughter see the grand home that awaits her pleasure to accept, said she. Maria's right when she says, once a foreigner, always a foreigner. We cannot make an indolent, improvident Italian comprehend our prudent, sensible Swiss views of living. Brother Nicholas has honored her by giving her a chance to walk in the footsteps of her notable and revered foremothers, and I thought a look through this well-filled house would advance his interests with her. Instead, she has run off and left us to search for her. The old man said nothing, for at that moment Dorothy came in and took a seat by the window, looking out anxiously. I hope the child has met with no ill luck, she said nervously. She will make her own ill luck, commented the old lady stiffly. Perhaps she has gone on the road to Xerneas to meet Nicholas, suggested Jacob. 
She will be anxious to see the fine yoke of oxen he is bringing from the cattle market. She cares for nothing useful. If it were a gay-winged butterfly, she might run to get a look at it, replied Grandmother Durant, with a sigh glance at the troubled face of Dorothy. Silence reigned for quite a while, which was broken by the door flying open. Dora stepped in, her eyes bright with delight over the armful of wild roses, her merry laugh subsiding when she glanced around upon the clouded faces of her relatives. Grandmother Durant glanced at Dorothy as if to say, it is your place to speak, but the mother had no words. Now, is it not beautiful the way you have treated us, Doris, inquired the old lady? Your relatives wished to give you pleasure, so invited you to pay a visit to our honored uncle. Instead of showing appreciation of the kindness, you ran away, proving yourself ungrateful and ill-mannered. Particularly to your aged entertainer have you shown disrespect, for the young should revere the old. You have poorly recompensed one who has shown you more kindness than you deserve. You are not angry with me, are you, uncle? said Doris, going to him and clasping him about the neck. I did not mean the least disrespect to you or to anybody. You told me that when I came again the wild roses on the ruins of Steinsburg would be in bloom, and I could gather as many as I wished. I thought that the best time for me to go was when your cell was showing Grandma over the house. I did not think they would miss me or care that I went, and I ran there and back as quickly as I could. I am more than sorry if you think me ungrateful, for I love you. You are so kind to me. The heart of the old soldier melted like wax in the rays of the sun. Yes, yes, he said, that is exactly the case. I did invite you to come when the wild roses were in bloom. I forgot all about it and should have thought that you had gone to gather them. We should not blame you, child. If all went wrong, it was not your fault. It is now time to go home, said Grandmother Durant stiffly. One would think you were in your dotage. Brother Nicholas to be so influenced by a word from a child. Jacob, who had been wanting to go for some time, soon had the carriage at the door and they drove away. The way home was passed in almost silence. Even Jacob appeared to have lost his enthusiasm in regard to Nicholas and his oxen. I wish you'd come over to see me tomorrow, Doris. I have something you say to say to you, said Grandmother, as Jacob helped her from the carriage at her own door. I will come in the afternoon, Grandmother. You know I have a reading lesson of two hours in the morning with Professor Straw. The old lady made no response, but nodding at Kurt good evening, walked up the steps of her house, and Jacob took Dorothy and her daughter to their cottage. Mama, said Doris, as they sat together in the doorway that evening, Grandmother has changed toward me. She is not kind and affectionate to me, as she was when we first came to Switzerland. Yet she longs only for your happiness. I am glad, dear, that she is willing to give you advice, for I do not know what to say. I really do not know what is best for you. I feel miserably unsettled, but afraid to advise, fearing that I will reproach myself in after years. The next afternoon, Doris paid the promised visit and found her grandmother sitting in stately solitude awaiting her arrival. I invited you to come, Doris, said she, pointing to a chair with, which stood nearby, near her, because I have something important to say. In the affair which has been agitating us for the past two days, you are entirely indifferent or are thinking only of yourself. Thoughtless and trilling, you are willing to throw away the chance of a lifetime against the vice of everyone who has an interest in your welfare. 
to your mother should be your first duty, her welfare, her happiness, your first care. She is growing older and has never been accustomed to work of any kind that will bring in a penny, nor have you. You have only the means to keep you in the most meager way of living. If any misfortune or sickness should come your way, you should would be reduced to the stream of poverty, if not starvation. When you see the destitution of your mother, you can say to yourself, I had it in my power to ward this distress from her, but I would not accept the opportunity. You have the chance to provide a luxurious home for Dorothy, your mother, who at heart is good and noble, but who by her dependent nature is unfitted to battle with the world. She would sink under poverty as would a tender flower under a blighting frost. Now I have had my say. Think over my words, not in your careless, indifferent way, but as one who has no one to depend upon for the actual necessaries of life. Doris sat perfectly still, her beautiful brown eyes fixed upon the face of her grandmother during the address. When it ended, she would have spoken, but the old lady gave her a sign that the conference was over, and obeying it, she arose and left the room. As she passed down the corridor, her Aunt Catherine intercepted her and invited her into her, her room. I suppose you can spare a moment to your aunt, said she. Maria's in here. Doris went in and took the seat offered. What we wish to say to you is that if you are so proud that you will not accept the offer of Uncle Nicholas and your mother is so weak that she will not use her authority to command you to accept it, you need not expect that a relation you have will offer you assistance in time of want. What will become of you should your mother be taken will be of the, not the least care to us. A useless creature belonging to no one and wanted by no one, added Marie. Believe me, there will be no sympathy of compassion for you because you had a chance to be one of the most prosperous and honored property owners in the country and refused, and your poor, weak mother may well compare her lot with what it would have been had she been blessed by a more dutiful daughter. Can I go now, said Doris, trembling with emotion and very pale. If you have heard what we had to say, yes, I have heard, and she opened the door and passed out. When she reached home, her heart throbbed with pity and grief to find her mother weeping bitterly. Mama, she said she tenderly, why do you grieve so over this? It is no misfortune, as was the loss of dear Papa. That is my grief, said she, raising her tear-dimmed eyes to her daughter's face. If Papa was only here to advise, all would be clear before us. My heart throbs with pride and joy when I think of your uncle wishing you to be mistress of that elegant home with no fear of wanting for a comfort as long as you live, but it throbs with greater joy to think that if you do not accept his offer, the way may sometime be open for us to go back to our loved home on Montcut Rosso. This you can never do if you accept his offer, for he gives it with understanding that it is to be your home for life. Which it shall never be, Mama. Rest assured of that. But again, I think that Grandma may be right. And if I am called away, you will be well provided for. God will provide for me, Mama, if I do my duty to the best of my knowledge and ability. But your relations will be all against you. They are against me now, even Grandmother, who was one so, once so kind. But I have never felt that I belong to them, nor do I care to belong to them. They are very different from you, Mama, very, very different. Yes, dear, years of separation have shown me the difference, which I did not notice so much before I left them. Yet in their way they may as be as near right as I and mine. 
is only when I am alone with you, Mama, or reading to Dr. Straw, and he explains the readings in the way Papa explained them, that I feel really contented here. Oh, the happy days when Papa was with us, and the eyes of the much-tried Doris overflowed with tears. It grieves me to tell you something that I must tell you, said her mother. But while you were out, Dr. Straw came in to tell me that he had received a letter from Berlin which makes it necessary for him to leave here earlier than he expected. He will be here but two days longer. Oh, Mama, said Doris bitterly, and only a few moments ago when I walked home from Grandmother's I was thinking to myself, how could I bear all this trouble with my relatives if it were not for my happy hours of reading and conversation with one who is so superior in knowledge, so like Papa in goodness, kindness, and gentleness in imparting his knowledge to me. And now he is going, and one day will pass alike, like another, nothing to do in which I take interest, nothing to think of but the coldness of my relatives, the whole world empty save for you. She went to her room and sat down by her window, that the air might cool her fevered cheek. She had looked forward with regret to the time when Professor Straw must return to his duties in the college, for he had assisted her in her studies since the second week of his residence in the cottage the lady teacher having left Schulz. The professor from his window over the porch had heard Dorothy and her daughter conversing in the soft language of Italy, and being anxious to perfect himself in it, he had asked as a great favor that Doris should read to him from her father's books, and he, in turn, gave her two hours' instruction in studies she desired, especially Latin. And now this must all cease. He was going away, and as her gaze rested upon the dark slope of Mont Pisco, over which gray clouds were passing, the words of an old song came to her mind. The old-time joy, the old-time joy, has gone like a dream. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.